Hey guys, it's Kendra. And this is Jessica. And you're listening to Lucid Lab. It is so dark out right now. And it's not even five. <laughs> I know it feels like it's 10 o'clock at night. I love this time of year actually, but I don't like the early darkness that comes with this time of year. It's just so confusing for our bodies, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I like it right now. But now, yes, we're entering like hibernation season. Yep. That's what I was just telling her. I was like, I throw the apples out to the squirrels and the squirrels didn't come get them today. I was like, they're actually hibernating. They're gone. (laughs) And I feel like I do that because it gets dark in Colorado by December. It'll be 430 p.m. when it gets dark. Insane. And all I want to do is make a big pot of soup and curl up with a cozy blanket. Yeah. And watch a good movie or read a good book. That's like this kind of season for me. Makes a lot of sense that that becomes what we do. We just kind of come home to ourselves. It's the time to reflect yes. on the year while getting into the seasons, whatever holidays that you celebrate. What was whatnot. it called uh, when we did the episode about Samhain? It's like the season of darkness and well, that's it is. where we're at now. Okay. <laughs> and that's what they did. They tied up all their loose ends so they could just go squirrel away. Oh, <laughs> I totally forgot about winter. your episode and I came up with that all on my own. <laughs> <laughs> it's your pagan roots I guess coming so. out. <laughs> I found a new favorite food. Oh? Yeah. I've always loved beets, but I found a different way to make it. Our friend Elizabeth made it for me one night. Okay. And I was just dying. (laughs) I fell in love and I just devoured this plate that she made. It took like an hour and a half for her to make, but it's beets in an oven, so you're roasting them. But it's Mm -hmm. just a different way to prepare them and then you... At some point, like 45 minutes in, you add oil and balsamic and it like caramelizes with it and sucks in the juices at the same time. And it has dill. And once it comes out and it's ready, you put goat cheese on it and that melts into I just die. Sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to be making that tomorrow. I'm scared. I'm sure it will turn out great. It better because I had to go find the golden beets because I realized that I liked it better. With the, She had both. She had oh. the normal red beets mm-hmm. and the golden beets. And I just about passed over for the golden beets. So wow. I had to go find some. I'll have to try it out sometime. I haven't made beets in years. I grew up with pickled beets, which is not everybody's cup of tea, but I really like them. Yeah. I mean, I'll put it on a plate. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's like a buffet or something like yeah, that, I'll try it out. I like beet salads and things, and they're actually supposed to be really good for you. Like they're like a superfood, so yep. So, so you good. can figure out a way to like Although it. Although I'll probably it. cook out all of the important things with <laughs> how I'm preparing this. So we are actually recording on a Friday for the first time yeah. in forever and ever, mm-hmm. and it worked out this week. I literally just got off a plane about mm-hmm. three hours ago. I was on a business trip all week, but we're committed to the podcast, mm-hmm. and here I am. I just came from Florida, so I'm on Florida time. So hopefully I won't nod off over here. Yeah, <laughs> a couple I know. Of hours, but I think I'll be fine. I'm feeling pretty good. And I've been traveling a lot more. I actually haven't seen you, Jessica, in a couple of weeks. I know. I feel forgotten. <laughs> You're not. I mean, we talk <laughs> every day. It's just, yeah, life has been busy with yeah. my new job. I'm traveling more than ever and it's making it a little challenging, but mm-hmm. we'll figure it out. Maybe once certain relationships are solidified a little bit more, you yes. don't travel as much. Yes, I. It, it's That's because what I'm, I'm new. hoping for. <laughs> it's because I am new to the role and I have to go meet all of the yeah. accounts that I'll be working with, which mm-hmm. is a lot of fun. I haven't traveled for work in years and going out and meeting new people and getting to, you know, do the wine and dine mm-hmm. and all of that. It is fun. 
Yeah. It's also exhausting. Yeah. I'm an introvert, as I think everyone knows. And so going out and having to talk all day long and then go to dinners and all of that, it really wears on me. Yeah. After a few days. So. I'm happy to be back home and cuddled up in our little podcast room right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am actually going to be going on a little trip for myself. Yes, I'm happy um, for you. Not a big one. Nothing like Kendra. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go drive down to Manitou Springs if you're from Colorado. It's just another little mountain town. You know, there's a coven of witches there. <gasps> I must find them. I know about an apothecary there and I've bought some candles that come with crystals in them that I really loved and... They're all gone now, so I need to stock back up. There actually is a coven of witches there. You should look it up. Okay, well. Maybe even worth doing an episode on. Wow. Who knew? I just drove through it and I stayed there for like three hours one day and loved it. I ate and walked the shops a little bit and I'm going to be staying in this old it's a hotel, but it's like this really big old house kind of looking thing. And nice. I'm excited to have a couple days outside of everything else. That's the great part of living in Colorado is that there are so many just little weekend getaways here that mm-hmm. are amazing. Tried to get the Stanley. is booked out. Just for this weekend. That's it. And it's not even an important weekend. There's no holidays. There's no reason whatsoever. It was blacked out. Wow. I wonder if there's a concert or something. I called and they're like, yeah, well, we still have a few rooms. And they only had the ones that are like the suites that are like $700. (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous. So I'm like, "Mm, well, I only want to go back to Estes if one, I'm staying at the Stanley or two, like we're going to do something there. And so I just opted for a different mountain town. Well, you'll love it. I'm very excited. So what are we doing today? Oh, so today I'm actually going to be talking about something that was on this week's list. (laughs) Usually we've talked about that we have a hard time choosing and we've had it all planned out, but we always move things (laughs) around, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And I was having a struggle to decide what I was going to talk about. And then I looked at the list and I was like, why didn't I even look at the list? (laughs) I don't even look at the list anymore. Maybe I should do what I committed to. Yeah. So I saw it and I was like, Oh, okay. I'm going to do that one. (laughs) So I am covering Heaven's Gate. Oh, okay. I know of Heaven's Gate, but I don't know a lot of details. So So it's a cult. I'm Mm -hmm. doing another cult. And I believe that most people have heard of this cult because it has a few unique twists to it that made it stand out. It's a little bit wild. And I think when the ones that are just a little bit more out there tend to get a little bit more media attention. And so I knew of Heaven's Gate. I didn't know all the details that I know now, but I'm going to bring it to you. Okay, let's do it. So this cult started in 1974, the 70s, as they all did. Yes, the 70s were a time. It was founded by Bonnie Nettles and Marshall Applewhite. Similar to the families Anne Hamilton Byrne and Dr. Rainer Johnson, Bonnie and Marshall met and through a common interest in spirituality, they decided to form a group. (laughs) Identifying themselves as the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. Okay. They attracted several hundred followers over some time. Things got a little out of hand and we are going to get into all of it. But first, who is Bonnie and who is Marshall? Because we have to get to know these people. What brings strangers together to think, Let's make a cult. (laughs) Yeah. That sounds like a good plan. (laughs) Let's do that. So Bonnie was born Bonnie Lou Trudesdale on August 29, 1927 in Houston, Texas. She grew up in a strict Baptist family. She moved away from religion in adulthood and became a registered nurse. She married Joseph Siegel Nettles in December of 1949, and together they had four children. 
Bonnie and Joseph were together until 1972. Up until then, their marriage seemed good, but it is believed that her interests probably got between them over time and caused some imbalance. Her interests in what? Bonnie started to conduct seances in an attempt to contact deceased spirits. Mm, okay. This became a regular thing for her, and eventually she became convinced that she was communicating with and receiving wisdom from a 19th century monk named Brother Francis. Interesting. Okay. And the husband's like, you've gone cuckoo. I don't know. (laughs) And I'm out. I have no words from Joseph. I just know that didn't end well. It didn't do things for their marriage. There was something else that might have gotten in the way as well. Her interest grew more and more and she heavily studied the occult, theosophy and astrology. She also frequented fortune tellers and some of them told her that she was soon to meet a mysterious tall man with light hair and a fair complexion. Okay. So Marshall was born Marshall Herf Applewhite Jr. on May 17th, 1931 in Spur, Texas. He also grew up in a very religious household with three other siblings and considered himself to be very religious as a child and into adulthood. His father was a Presbyterian minister. Good old Texas, small town religion. Yeah. I'm very familiar (laughs) with it. He went to Corpus Christi High School as a teenager. And from there, he was pretty busy and a little all over the place. So honestly, hold on to your seat because it was hard to follow the next decade of his life. Okay. He was just figuring out who he was, Mm -hmm. I think. He earned his bachelor's degree in philosophy from Austin College in 1952 Hoping to become a minister, he enrolled in theology at Union Presbyterian Seminary in North Carolina. He married Anne Pierce in 1954, and together they had two children, Mark and Lane. He was a lover of singing and music, and not long after enrolling at Union Presbyterian, he dropped out to become a music director at a Presbyterian church in North Carolina. But that didn't last long because he was drafted by the Army. He served in Austria and New Mexico. Interesting. To the base, yeah. Yep. He wasn't with that long either when he left in 1956 and decided to move to Colorado and enroll at the University of Colorado for his master's in music and musical theater. After earning his master's, he moved to New York City because he was ready to become a really big star. So he went from wanting to be a minister to wanting to be a theatrical actor. Yeah, he wanted to do musical theater. Interesting. Okay, quite the turn. It didn't pan out. So he moved to Alabama to teach at the University of Alabama. And just something I I feel like I should mention here. Most people actually called him by his middle name, Herf. Herf? But he's, yeah, yeah, his middle name's Herf. So most people back at this time, I saw this video of someone talking about him when he was their professor and they all referred to him as Herf. But in a lot of research, he's either Applewhite or one of the other mini names I'm going to mention later. (laughs) Because they always come up with their own names. Yes. Yes. So Herf is a very Texas name. Is it? I don't know. I've never heard it before. But it it sounds to me like if there's going to be a guy named Herf, he probably comes from Texas. (laughs) Sounds right. (laughs) All I can think of is Heifer when I hear Herf. I don't know why. Heifer. But remember, he's done all this in a short period of time, and he's married with two kids. Oh, I wonder what his wife thinks of this. Yeah, I don't know if she was supportive this entire time. Sadly, he was fired from that teaching job in 1965 because they found out that he was having an affair with a young male student. A male student. Interesting. That was probably very scandalous back then. Mm -hmm. 
Clearly, he had some very suppressed feelings, and I would assume in his attempt to squash it, marrying young and pursuing positions that had these religious affiliations, that his wife was probably not too happy. (laughs) It's so sad that back in those days, men who were homosexual felt that they had to, especially with the religion mixed in. They had to suppress it. Even today, if the religion is mixed in. Yes. They'll still marry a woman and waste her time and cheat on her maybe on the side or whatever Mm -hmm. because they can't admit. So sad. It's hard to imagine not having your family anymore if they're not going to accept you. Right. Yes. And so I think that that's because you had you have to start brand new. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. And it, it shouldn't have to be that way just because of your sexual preference. No, and it's a scary thing. Yeah. But anyway, they ended up splitting that year and eventually divorced three years later. It was around that time that he tried to tell his parents that he was a homosexual and he was rejected by his father. So sad. He moved to Houston and he served as the chair of the musical department at the University of St. Thomas for five years. He was also choir director at a church, and he sang with the Houston Grand Opera. He was back and forth when it came to his sexual preferences then. He tried being openly gay at times, and then he started dating a woman who he actually really did care about and wanted to be with her, but her family pressured her to leave him, I'm sure because of rumors. yeah. Due to depression, he resigned from the university in 1970, although some say that it was also because of yet another affair with a male student mm. underneath him. You can't, whether you're, knows? <laughs> whether it's a it's girl like he, or a boy, you can't be messing around with your students. Come yeah, on. It's, it's one thing. From there, he moved to New Mexico for a bit of time. Outside of everything that he's done so far, he operated as a delicatessen for a little bit. <laughs> it didn't last very long. And that's because his father became ill okay. and died. And Marshall moved back to Houston Again, falling into this depression, he was in a lot of debt. He had to start borrowing money from friends to stay afloat. He tried a bout of singing again. And at this point, he actually was rehearsing for what would be considered his biggest role to date. He was going to be playing Olin Blitch in the opera Susanna, which is about a traveling preacher who seduces a girl named Susanna. So... Marshall and Bonnie met in March of 1971. They were both in their early 40s when they met, but Bonnie was a few years older. It's not entirely clear how they met, but according to Bonnie's daughter, Marshall was producing weekend children's shows, teaching at a drama school that she went to, and one of the children got hurt, and Marshall went to the hospital with the child, and that's where he met Bonnie. Okay. Because she's a nurse. The other story from Marshall's sister, Louise, was that he was in the hospital due to heart issues at the time and that he had a near-death experience, and that is when he met Bonnie. Hmm. Another story is that he was in rehearsals for the opera, Susanna, and experienced a break from reality and ended up in a psychiatric hospital. Okay. Applewhite claims that he was just visiting a friend at the hospital where Bonnie was a nurse. (laughs) But Bonnie was a baby nurse. So the first story makes sense if it's a child right. and it's somewhere he would have met her in a pediatric yeah, section, section of the hospital. I don't know why it matters so much how they met, but there you go. <laughs> I guess to set up the cult, they needed to have a good origin story. <laughs> yeah. Either way, they met and their connection was instantaneous. Bonnie claimed to be an astrologer who could do his chart. And she said that their stars aligned. Mm. Bonnie convinced him that his experience thus far in life 
was for a very special reason and that they were fated to work together. Does it say what signs they were? He was a Taurus and she was a Virgo, like my mom. Ooh, that's a really strong compatibility. That makes sense that their stars would align. I've seen Taurus. So she wasn't Virgo. Yeah, no, she wasn't. (laughs) They're like a really strong compatibility, soulmate, whatever. Like she said, they instantly got along and they started to discuss all their interests. They believed that they had met in a past life. And like I just said, that they were destined to be together, not Mm -hmm. romantically, just spiritually, intellectually. It was never romance, sex. Okay. Makes sense. He didn't really like women. I mean, he still attempted. Right. And would fall for the right woman. But that could be just the conflict within him as well. Yeah. Who knows? This friendship between Bonnie and Marshall was the final straw for her husband, Joseph. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Shortly after meeting Marshall, she spent most of her time with him. And after a short while, he actually moved in with them. That would probably push my boundaries in a marriage. (laughs) With Bonnie's interest in so much more beyond religion, by comparison, Marshall had only really recently begun to dabble into other things. And some would argue that it was her she introduced him to everything and was honestly responsible for reinforcing some of his emerging delusional beliefs okay and experiences that he was having because she was just a rush of information for him and she told him that extraterrestrials prophesized her meeting him Mm. and that together they had a divine assignment so she wasn't consulting her 17th century monk to find this information out now there's ets involved i don't know where he became involved in her life. Maybe that was her spiritual awakening, but no, this is a cult having to do with aliens. Okay, this is going to be really bizarre then. <laughs> yeah, it is bizarre. <laughs> I can't wait. It's a crazy story. Mm-hmm. So Joseph decided that was it. He divorced her and she lost custody of her children. But her oldest, Terry, was 19 at the time, so not all of her children. Terry really loved her mother and looked up to her. They were very close and discussed all of the things that Bonnie was involved with. They had many, many deep conversations. And together, they thought that they did not belong on Earth. And they okay. often wished the UFO would come take them away. I mean, I kind of think that some days. I do, but I have very specific demands of whatever UFO comes and takes me. <laughs> yeah, they got to take me to a world that's much better. And they got to take people that I love with exactly. me. Exactly. You got <laughs> to take my kid. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be able to eat something that tastes good or take away my taste buds. So I don't care either one. (laughs) But Bonnie and her daughter, Terry, essentially had their spiritual awakening together. Okay. Which was pretty powerful for the both of them. But when Marshall joined her family, it was a very tense situation. Once her parents divorced, Bonnie told Terry that her and Marshall needed to find out what they were supposed to be doing. So Marshall and Bonnie tried to open a couple of little businesses together. They had a bookstore called Christian Arts Center. Mm -hmm. And they had a place called No Place, K-N-O-W, No Place, to teach theosophy and mysticism. Early on, Marshall decided that he was going to be the speaker and that Bonnie was going to be the sage. Okay. That she was higher up in the spiritual chain than he was. Okay. Which makes sense. She'd been doing it a long time. She's a little bit older. At least he acknowledged that. Oh, yeah. Definitely did. And you'll see why later on, too. But they gave up their businesses not shortly after that and decided to start traveling in the beginning of 1972. So Bonnie told Terry once they figured everything out, they would be back. 
but that didn't happen. Because they went on a UFO? <laughs> <laughs> Let me get to the end of the story before we have a conclusion. Okay. <laughs> Long ways to go. Well, they didn't have any money. It was definitely a journey. They would give blood to earn money or work odd jobs along the way. They would eat nothing but bread, camp out, or get lodging, only to leave before paying the bill. Oh, so they were the original Diane and Dash. I can't claim they're the original. (laughs) (laughs) They're one of them. They were taking advantage of it. Yep. But during this crazy spiritual adventure, they solidified their beliefs. They studied the life of St. Francis Assisi, Mm -hmm. an Italian mystic and Catholic friar that founded the Franciscans. Mm -hmm. They discussed the work of Helena Blavatsky, a Russian and American mystic who co-founded the Theosophical Society in 1875. Artie Lang, a Scottish psychiatrist who wrote about mental illness. Richard Bach, a fantasy and philosophy writer. And science fiction writers Robert Heinlein and Arthur Clarke. Heinlein was supposedly the one that influenced Travis Walton in his case. Mm. You know, I see a lot of people bring up these books because mm-hmm. they all talk about certain books that started their ideology within this cult. And yes. some of them are all similar books, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you'll talk to an everyday person who's like, oh, I read that book. And I'm like, oh, that's how <laughs> that cult started. That's how it begins. Be yeah. careful. Yes. <laughs> but it's like, I want to read the books, too. And then we'll but want it, to it start just, a cult. No, it just takes a special mind to be like, you know what? I have the answer mm-hmm. in me. And only whoever is stupid enough to follow me is going to live on this planet. And apparently there's lots of stupid people that will follow. We're all very impressionable. That's why it's scary. We're all looking for a purpose and somebody who seems confident we want to follow. Yep. After a year of traveling, being hungry, sleepless nights, studying, they ended up on the Oregon coast and found their answer. They concluded that they were chosen to fulfill biblical prophecies. Okay. As I mentioned before, they were the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, at times nodding to the idea that Marshall Applewhite was Jesus reincarnated. Almost like they tried it out to see if people would buy it (laughs) at first and then moved on. (laughs) But it does come back later. (laughs) They referred to themselves as the two. The two. The two. So they were the original Revelations witnesses. Mm -hmm. Jesus is a, I mean, that's a big one to try and claim. Yeah, well, he didn't stick with it then, but we will talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, because Jesus is supposed to come back. Like, you can't reincarnate as Jesus. (laughs) Like, I don't know. They have a different spin. Oh, okay. Of course they do. Yeah. They figured it out. They're like, what will actually convince people? Yep. They made a pamphlet and they began visiting churches and other spiritual groups to reveal their true identities mm-hmm. and their future purpose. Because in the book of Revelation, the two witnesses, they're killed. Okay. And what is called a demonstration where... They're killed, but they're resurrected. But this is done in view of other people. And I think, I'm, you know, don't quote me. I'm not in the Bible that often. <laughs> yeah. But something comes down, a ball of light or something comes down to transport them. And they decided that that was actually a spaceship that is coming down okay. to pick them up. But, okay, I was taught in religion that revelation was the end times and yeah, it had not happened yet. Part of the end times, they identified themselves as the two witnesses Oh, they were going to bring about end times. Correct. They were part of so, bringing it about. Okay, I'm I'm <laughs> with you now. I get what you're saying. So they're saying that they were the ones that were foretold to yes. come as the witnesses and right. would start the revelation. That yes. makes more sense. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you were saying he was reincarnated as Jesus or was I know. I mean, you're one of the two. Which one is it? That's the problem. You can't be both, dude. Oh, they will be. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're crazy, which they probably are. Clearly, their attempt at these religious places did not really earn them any followers because (laughs) not only are you walking in there and you're saying, oh, guess what? End times. And we're the two witnesses. Right. Come, Come watch us. But you also can't go around saying just to everyday people, yo, I'm that person from the Bible. No. It's... <laughs> it gets you committed. It does. You know, there are some people that we consider to be saintly, but they yes. earn it in a much different way usually Yeah, than someone being like, oh, it's me. I just see just their hands up. <laughs> just some random yeah. off the bus that shows up in town and is like, by the way... I took some drugs and I had a revelation and, and, and it's now, me. <laughs> and now the world is going to end. How many people have said that? Just in our lifetime, there's been so many people who've said it's oh, end I times. Know. Oh, all the time. Right now. They're constantly. still predicting it on uh, It's TikTok everywhere. All the time. It just depends yeah. who is talking. But I kind of feel like we are headed towards end times every day that I read the news. But. We do, but do we really know what that would all entail? There's been some crazy shit going on in the last couple of years that I can't explain that I don't remember from other parts of my lifetime Yes, happening. So who's to know? I think we all believe we live in end times. People in World War One and World War II probably thought they did. They never said how long did. it would take. Yeah. Did I they? mean, a million years could be nothing in the scheme of it all, right? And we created time and time is actually right. not specifically laid out in the Bible, so... Yep. So I'm guessing it's Marshall and Bonnie that really did start end times. That's where my mind's going now. <laughs> I the mean, 70s, they, they unleashed it. You could say that. You could say that. But if we believe people from cults, sadly, then that means that Jesus is reincarnated about 200 times. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no one signed up from the churches. That's so shocking. Spiritual <laughs> movements. But one of their friends, Sharon Morgan, did sign up. This was in May of 1974. And I say sign up like it's just say I believe you or. Yeah, I guess she believed him. So they needed a better marketing department. They (laughs) didn't get their whole sales spiel down yet. Well, the thing is, is they were pretty nomadic at this point. Yeah. They were all over the place. And so for her to be a part of what they were doing required her leaving to go be with them. Okay. And she did. But after about a month, she decided, nope, not for me. And she returned to her family, realizing that it was a bad decision to live in a van with two strangers. Or I guess sometimes they didn't even have a van. It was whatever they happened on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So they were still on the road. And about a month after Sharon went home, they were arrested for credit card fraud. Okay. Using Sharon's cards. That's what profits do. (laughs) Credit card fraud. Sharon claimed that she gave them permission. And I'm sure that that might not be the case. She may have given them permission for like a meal. Yeah. Keep this one. Get yourself somewhere to sleep. Yes. But not use it all up. No. But this is what led the cops to finding out that Marshall had a rental car in his possession that he chose to never return (laughs) and was arrested for stealing the car. Wow. This was nine months after he originally rented the car in Missouri. That's crazy. He was arrested in Texas, but he was extradited back to Missouri and he spent six months in jail. And he believed that he was divinely authorized to keep the car. And that's why they didn't take it back. I don't think a lawyer can use that as a defense, but (laughs) I'm sorry. I mean, divinely. Honestly, if that's true, I'm divinely authorized in so many things that I want to do because it would help me out. 
Yeah, I'm divinely authorized to own a house and a car. You are, actually. Yes. You are. That's why I'm like, it's not a horrible thing to say they needed a car. (laughs) They just decided to keep one. It's not like anybody actually needed it. That's true. (laughs) It was a rental car. It is better to steal from a rental car company than a family. Yes, that's my point. (laughs) Yeah. But you will spend some time in jail, so be careful. That could be good for him, free meals and a place to sleep for a while while they get very true the rest of it together. But I don't know what Bonnie's doing while he's gone. I never did find out. He was released in early 1975 and rejoined Bonnie. It was at this time that Bonnie and Marshall were heavily focused on extraterrestrials and wanting to contact them. Mm. They wanted to find those that were like them. They started to put out advertisements for meetings at these meetings, they would tell people that they were above them on another level, beings from another planet, and that they needed disciples to be part of an experiment. Okay. Those who joined and who the two coined the crew, they would reach a higher evolutionary level. Marshall was the main speaker. Nettles would sometimes interject, but he spoke for both of them. Mm-hmm. Starting to gain some followers, they initially called their organization the Anonymous Sexaholics Celibate Church. That spells ass. A-S-C-C? Ask. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, what's their acronym? A-S-C-C. Ask. It's ass. It's A-A for sexaholics. Why the sexaholics? Where is that coming in from? Because they decided that they were going to be celibate, I guess. I mean, they're using a very specific word. Mm -hmm. They're in this Mm non-romantic commitment to each other now. Right. So maybe it just made sense. It is a point later on. I will come back to this. There is a reason why they came up with this. There's just not a lot known as to their reasoning from the very beginning because it wasn't as fleshed out. So they came up with that name so they could file for nonprofit status. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a random name. It is a random name. There's nothing to do with sex. To call themselves sexaholics and then celibate. It just, it's weird. I mean, I don't even think that sexaholics is like the way you and I think about it. Like, because to me, I'm like, hey, if you have an issue with that, go for it. Because I know people who are sexaholics and it's an actual issue. Mm -hmm. Ruins relationships. Right, definitely. But if it's just that you have an issue with your own sexuality and you're struggling with that, you know, I think it's just a mixture of the two of these. These two kids. (laughs) In their 40s. In their 40s. But it was confusing to read that the first time I found it because I'm like, wait a second. I just, they're about aliens. Right. They're about aliens, right? Where is this from? Unless they're just trying to throw people off. But they gained a following a little bit. Because of the catchy name? Probably. (laughs) But then a dude shows up and he's like, I really need to get it under control. And they're like, no, this is about aliens. And he's like, this is not what I signed up for. They're like, we'll still tell you to be celibate. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) In April of 1975, they had a meeting in Los Angeles And there were 80 attendees and 25 joined from that day. Wow. It's giving me the vibes of being in network marketing. Oh, like the pyramid schemes? I've been a part of them. You can get bamboozled into just about anything for anybody because Mm -hmm. you're supporting somebody. But they require a lot more than what network marketers are asking for. Although they do ask an arm and a leg. They're like, hey... It's just a thousand dollars to join. And like, you're gonna go- make that up in like a week. Which you never you have do. One friend that's gonna join too and is gonna be totally fine. <laughs> and they're like, go take out that loan. It's a good investment to buy this jewelry or whatever or this 
health shake. I don't know <laughs> what all. I did them. Mary Kay when I was 18. And I was actually really good at it. But Were then you? I moved to Colorado and I lost my entire client base. And so yeah, I was stuck with a, like a lot of inventory. $3,000 worth of Mary Kay. I mean, I went to plenty of Tupperware parties with my mom growing up. That was probably one of the oh, biggest ones. I do ones. remember doing mm-hmm. those. That's good memories, though. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fun. Yeah, they were speaking at these college campuses in California. I just swear, California. That's where all the cults are. It does seem it's like the 70s. that, right? A lot of them end up there, start there, migrate there. I don't know. It's just this. What is it about California? Is it the beach? Why not Florida? It's where all the free thinkers and everything were going. And I think, you know, the whole new age and whatever was going on, then the hippie. Well, no, this is the 70s, but probably like remnants of that. Yeah, ended but up in California. So many of them were in California. And this, yeah. You know. So we're all the serial killers. I know. <laughs> it must have been there was something going on that none of us understand. In it's the all 70s. underground. Yeah. It's there was the tectonic some, plates. The thing that's about to rip it off of <laughs> America. <laughs> there were some weird radio waves or some <laughs> shit coming up and frying brains. <laughs> different vibration over there. Still is. Yeah. That's funny. People described them as charismatic, describing how they simultaneously became aware that they were the two witnesses for the end times, while also preaching that aliens put us here and only a lucky few would be chosen to return. And they were those few. Okay. We're all ancient astronauts, which I've brought up. Could be. I mean, that's a possibility. I do think so, honestly. (laughs) It's not that far out. But I don't think I need to end like these people, so... It's just always taking it to that level that has to go too far Mm -hmm. because I can get behind that. I just have a hard time believing that there's only a few. Like if we were all placed here, we're all part of an original species that was placed here and we're from outer space and blah, 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 blah. Yes. I don't believe that they're just going to be like, "Mm, yeah, just that. (laughs) They're the only ones that can come back. Little baby group. (laughs) That one. That one. Right. That's it. That doesn't make any sense. No. Give me a break. And how do you get people to believe that? But that's how religion operates because then you have to do what they want you to to be able to get the reward or whatever. That's such a closed-minded view that Mm -hmm. you're the only important person. So then why wouldn't you want to include as many people as possible? And a lot of these cults close themselves off and don't allow others in. So then it becomes quite selfish. Yeah. If that's their worldview. Anyway... On September 14th, 1975, they were in Waldport, Oregon. Okay. They had a meeting there at a motel. They did this. So they would show up in an area and they would put flyers out. Mm-hmm. So they're putting flyers out. And then when people would come to see them, what was their whole like shtick? Like what did they sell? Well, good timing because I'm literally about to read an entire flyer to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's hear it. All right. So it says UFOs, why they are here who they have come for, when will they leave? So that's at the top. Okay, that's intriguing. That would draw me in probably if I I saw it. I'll post this flyer because there's still pictures of it today. And it would. It would catch my attention, the way they wrote it, Mm -hmm. how simple it is. Then the next line, it says, not a discussion of UFO sightings or phenomena, which is also intriguing because you would think, but what else would we talk about aliens for? (laughs) And then I'm just going to read the rest. Two individuals say they are about to leave the human level and literally, physically enter the next evolutionary level in a spacecraft within months. This man and woman will discuss how the transition from the human level to the next level is accomplished and when this may be done. This is not a religious or philosophical organization recruiting membership. 
However, the information has already prompted a number of individuals to devote their total energy to the transitional process. If you have ever entertained that there might be a real physical level in space beyond Earth's confines, you will want to attend this meeting. I mean, that's pretty good marketing. I'd probably, I mean, this is I would 70s. probably go show up. Why not? Yeah. I, I mean, what's the harm in hearing? I, I might easily have shown up for that because it's different. That's what, yeah, it's different. Mm-hmm. Me in the 70s, probably screwed, honestly. So you would have joined this cult <laughs> is what you're saying. <laughs> I would have, I would have not gone all the way. That's the thing is at some point my brain would have overtaken taken him and like for no, itself and no, it's no, like no. Mm, it's like the first day you get the icks and you're like but it's still cool like yes. let me figure it out a little bit and then you leave yeah so around 200 people showed up to this meeting okay. on september 14th it was at 2 p.m at bayshore inn one of those included a man named sawyer it's not his real name but he spoke a lot in a documentary that i watched and he talks about how he was intrigued he had an all-night band practice And he came out of the building and one of the posters was there, was there. Mm -hmm. What initially piqued his interest was wondering what they looked like. Yeah. People claiming to be aliens. Right. They're saying that they're not from here. So he's like, hmm, I wonder (laughs) if they actually look different. (laughs) Right. He was 24 at the time and he was experimenting with drugs and different spiritual groups, like a lot of other people at the time. Another person, Frank Lifford, he joined that day. He was lured in by the last statement on that flyer. If you have ever entertained that there might be a real physical level in space beyond Earth's confines. He was dating this girl, Erica Ernst, at the time. They had been together for three years and they were just visiting the area in Oregon. They were visiting their cousin, David Van Sinderen. The three of them came upon the flyer and decided, whatever, let's go. (laughs) Sounds Sounds like a good time. Yeah. (laughs) It sounded neat to them. Aliens, UFOs, you know, it's it's different from everything that you're doing. Yeah. It's the 70s. And what's the harm in just going? Like, I could see it. Leslie Light, she was another person who attended this meeting. She was a very beautiful young girl, total model. She really was. And she started as a child model in Hollywood, but she was a struggling hippie. Okay. You know, she was now in her early 20s and she wasn't sure what she wanted to officially do with her life. So these people are there along with the other 200 people. Uh They're waiting for the two to come out. Mm-hmm. I wonder what they were wearing when they came out. Regular clothes. So you're like there expecting like these beans and just a guy and a girl walk out in some jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah. And like, hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> I saw footage. They did wear a mixture of clothing. Just nothing too crazy. Really? Yeah. So they came out and sat silent for a couple of minutes before saying that they are there to teach the process of going to the next level. Okay. They taught about literal transformation, not metaphorically, but that by ascending, your actual body would change. They used the caterpillar and the butterfly as an example. They wanted their members to understand this literally, that by ascending, your body would chemically and biologically transform into a space alien. Hmm. After that, you would then board the spacecraft and physically travel to heaven. Okay. Many there were very young and impressionable. Sawyer said that he didn't really have any concrete beliefs since he was in the middle of his spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. And at the time, he just was mesmerized by what they were saying. And he f- said that it felt like he was sitting in front of the equivalent of Jesus. That's how powerful it was to him. Wow. And many described having this euphoric feeling listening to the two of them talk. So they really did have the charisma. They did. 
At the end of the meeting, they asked everyone to make a choice to stay or go with them to begin to repair themselves for transformation. Okay. How many people went along? So they had 200. Well, there you go, Kendra. That's my next answer. I know. I I know all the questions to ask. (laughs) (laughs) From this gathering, 34 people joined. Uh, That's not the best odds. It is when you realize what they're asking. How crazy it is. Yeah. I was going to see what percentage that was. (laughs) So 34 out of 200. Uh, 17%. I guess that's not bad. I think that's a pretty pretty good sales number. It is. A cold call. Exactly. So this included Sawyer. And I guess his girlfriend at the time, I never got her name and she wasn't mentioned otherwise, but it was mentioned once that he did bring a partner with him that day. Frank, Erica and David, the girlfriend and boyfriend with his cousin and Leslie. All of these people not only joined, but sold everything. They got rid of all of their possessions except camping gear and they said some goodbyes. The two told them that their family wasn't really their family, Mm -hmm. but just humans doing the same thing as you and that your real family is at the next level. They disappeared with the two. Family members were worried and many of the people reported them missing. The story hit the news later in 1975 when Walter Cronkite spoke of the missing people on CBS Evening News. (laughs) So they just ran off into the woods with their camping gear? With these two people that they just met. That sounds safe. Yep. The media was mostly negative with some earlier members coming out to talk about how there was brainwashing by Applewhite and Nettles. No one knew of the safety of these people. And based on what they had heard this group was about, they didn't know if they were dead, taken (laughs) or went willingly. Yeah. But it was around this time that the two had planned for this. For everyone in the group, those who were truly devoted or just joined and really excited to go underground, which really was just staying away from society. Okay. In obscurity, I should say. No longer the two, Marshall and Bonnie, or Applewhite and Nettles. They were now going by different names. Marshall was now Bo, and Bonnie was now Peep. Bo Peep. (laughs) Yep. They also went by Guinea and Pig at some point. But I wouldn't want to be named Guinea Pig. Or, yeah. Like you got the pig part. I'm like, I'd rather the Guinea, but really? Hey, pig, come here. Like, yeah. why would they choose that? This is really random. That That's didn't really random long. choices. There are reasons for everything that they do. Okay. That's one thing when it comes to occults. They're always influenced by something and usually the influences are from something that's not even important it's just something that that person likes or you know they like that band they grew up with that band and so that band somehow wiggles its way into the ideology of a cult so one of them had a guinea pig that they really loved growing up (laughs) or the bow peep is weird unless you know they're considering their followers sheep yes that is exactly that okay You know, with that, members weren't exactly happy about that in the beginning. Yeah, I don't want to be called a sheep. But that didn't stop them. Their followers were instructed to travel to Boulder Canyon in Colorado. Once there, they split the members into groups. They led almost 70 to 100 people across the country. They slept in tents and sleeping bags. Sometimes they baked on the streets. They avoided authority and media in this way. That's why I said like in obscurity because they were still having to move through it all. But they were doing it invisibly. Like they were just nomads. Yeah. Yeah. They were were living a nomadic life. They taught enlightenment and salvation through individual growth. So this was part of the process. Like, cool, I'm on board, right? Mm -hmm. I think we should all experience every level that a human has to go through, to be honest. Most of it. It'd be eye-opening. To be in the other person's shoes, to Mm -hmm. be more compassionate and understanding of another person. And this is how I see they recruited people. 
Well, that also follows along with the biblical teachings. If you think about it, like Jesus told his apostles to give up their families and just kind of wander with him too. So it's true. They're building on that. Yep. But they always take it a step further and they demand more and more and more from their followers. They preached individuality within this group and personal choice. But in the end, they take that away completely. Mm. They really do. They denied having any sort of new age connection at this time. It was a lot of different things all into one. And I think what kept people involved in it for a long time was that it was offering something that others weren't. And that right. was aliens and spaceships. And that's pretty cool. And yeah. not just by two people, but the two people mm-hmm. who are essentially your ticket out of there. <laughs> type of like, thing. I want to leave this place. Yeah. So during this nomadic type of lifestyle they started living, they believed it was necessary to have complete separation from earthly desires in order to ascend. I mean, it's monks. That's what I think of when I think of this. Yes. The name of the group changed several times. Now, instead of the anonymous sexaholic celibate church, they were now called Human Individual Metamorphosis or HIM. I like that better. Yeah. (laughs) It's prettier. Yes. But in groups, followers would go to different areas around the country, put out the flyers and hold meetings. The two were not there. And that's why that kind of reminds me more of these network marketing meetings again. Yeah. They branch out. They're holding their own meetings or recruiting their own people. And they're talking about the people above them. But like, you never you see can't them. can't wait to meet yes. them. And they're look amazing. what they did. Yeah. They preached that you could only ascend while alive. Mm. It's an interesting take, but I can also go along with that as well. You know, you're trying to ascend in your spirituality here. Yes. There are different levels to it. How do they just like sit down and make this stuff up? But that's what I'm saying. It's like, that's an interesting take. So you're saying that unless you can get to this super high spiritual level that no one else can get to, that everybody else who's died didn't go to heaven. Right. None of them. Yeah. They're just in until Bonnie and Marshall (laughs) or Bo Peep showed up. Yeah, exactly. I'm just thinking. Thinking like they had to like sit there and eat a bunch of mushrooms or take some LSD and like write all of this down before they went out and started preaching to people. Just the two of them coming up with this. These two didn't do drugs. So they just were crazy. They're high on themselves. Yeah. They got quite the narcissistic traits. Mm -hmm. But it was at one of these meetings, the meetings that were held by their followers. Yeah. That a man by the name of Robert Block, who is a sociologist from the University of Montana in Missoula, attended and decided to do something a little crazy. Oh. He had heard about the missing people from Oregon. Okay. And he was in Sedona, Arizona at the time. He was studying another new age group and he came outside and came upon a flyer. Mm. And he read it and he was like, that sounds weird. Yeah. That sounds like that group where those people went missing in Oregon. So he decided to go to it. Mm -hmm. And there is one person to mention here. One of the followers from this group, his name's Dick Jocelyn. He was a young member who joined in the beginning of the cult, actually. And you'll see him pop up often. I talk about him throughout this episode, but he'll pop up often in photos. Like if you were to research like a specific photo it's like a side angle of him because he's a really handsome dude Mm. and he was like tall blonde spokesman beach boy looking and he was in los angeles at the time for the same reason that a lot of people were there he wanted to be an actor Mm -hmm. and he became heavily involved in the group and he was one of their stronger speakers for a long time i'm only bringing him up now just because i do bring him up later and this is where he joined this isn't when he joined but this is when he became more prominent within the group 
And this is when a couple of the members remember because now people are being recruited not by the two, right, but by, by others. others. So their influence coming into the group is much different. It's mm-hmm. a different experience. What were Bo and Peep or Bonnie and Marshall getting from all of these people? They weren't collecting money. You know, usually a lot of times cults are based around money or they're getting sex or, you know, something like that. What were they getting from this? Just an ego boost? Or they truly believe, you know, at this point that they're helping. Yeah, they're just delusional. Or they're surprised. Like, wow, we do believe this and we put it out there and there's actual people out there doing crap. And then they're like, <laughs> we must be, this must really be our and calling maybe or something. They buy into it. They needed more time to to create what the plan was. Like they yeah. went to people with this tiny version of it. But now that people are actually joining and they're recruiting other people, they needed to create the entire plan of right. what that was. And they needed time away to come up with that. So Robert Block, he listened at this meeting and he was amazed at what he heard. And he was super surprised that nine people decided to join that night. Yeah. <laughs> and being who he was, he decided that it was a really good idea to go undercover. Well, yeah, he can be a sociologist and really do a case study. Yeah. And it wasn't only that he asked a fellow sociologist David Taylor to go with him so they dropped everything that they were doing for the sake of research and they joined this movement for quite a bit okay so remember everyone's kind of spread out right now from the group yeah Robert Block and David Taylor along with everyone else were coming from all these different cities and they were trying to make their way to California to be reunited with the two Since Robert and David were new, they weren't given very good instructions on where to meet everyone Mm -hmm. because the group is really, really secretive. They were told to go to Verinda, California, which is just outside of Oakland. They were told to go to a specific post office and look in the zip code book on page 11 to find an address. Okay. So they had to travel all the way (laughs) there. So they get there and it's not an address. It just said to go to the top of Mount Diablo. Okay. So they figured out how to get up there and no one was there. And they thought they missed everyone after everything that they did. That would suck. But then two cars pulled up and they were full of people and they jumped in and there they went. At this time and what Robert found out, there wasn't really anyone within the group outside of the two that had authority. Okay. Like there was nobody above someone else within the group members. And when they joined, they really were all focused on this inward work, their own metamorphosis. Mm -hmm. But really, it was just because they were receiving almost zero instruction from Bo and Peep. They were getting nothing from them. One former member saying it was the blind leading the blind and all of them were just sort of camping out in groups wherever, waiting to be taught what they needed to know to overcome their humanness. (laughs) And most of them were just staring at the skies at night and being like, is it time yet? (laughs) Like, what am I doing? Yeah. Robert was with the group for three months and had no idea where David was because they separate people. Okay. He was sent off in another group. They saw each other at one point and just said to each other, I guess I'll see you in Montana. (laughs) Like, (laughs) God knows where we'll go. I don't know. (laughs) So it was December 1975 and it was getting cold and Christmas was Robert's deadline. He was supported in doing this, but he said he would be back home for Christmas to be Mm -hmm. with his family. So he decided to go back to reality. And thankfully, when he got there, David was there as well. Okay, good. They both (laughs) made it out. They wrote academic papers and submitted them to Psychology Today. It was the cover story. 
Wow. With so many cults going on and spiritual movements, they had an inside view of what happens once you join a group like this. Okay. There were a lot of questions of coercion, manipulation, brainwashing, but Robert and David in their time concluded that the leaders didn't assert their authority. And this is a pretty boring cult at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you just go camping. But this is the beginning of the cult. Yeah. It hadn't yet turned into what it was going to become. Okay. Once more word got out about the group and the identities of Applewhite and Nettles were revealed as the leaders, they received a lot of backlash. They were destroyed by the media. Most people thought that they were a joke. And not long after that, Nettles decided, even though they had only been holding these meetings for about nine months, that they were no longer going to hold meetings and recruiting was done. So they were sticking with what they had. And with that, things started to change they became even more separated from the rest of the world than they were before. They had their devoted group and they needed to keep that solid and secret. And it was time to get serious. Okay. So, so they had written their plan at this point, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Robert and David joined and left at the right time, I guess. They got out before it got real crazy. Yep. The two started recording lessons for their members. All members became students in a classroom. They called it the classroom and really delve all the way in. The two put out a set of behavioral guidelines. Mm -hmm. Members were instructed not to just leave their family, friends, jobs, money, and possessions, but also drugs, media, alcohol, jewelry, facial hair, and sexuality. Okay. And not just gender, but eventually there was a complete ban of sexual activity. This is like the opposite of most cults. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was not a sex cult. Most cults are all about the sex. No fun. Just kidding. The guidelines were extensive and they warned members if they did not do them, then they were not welcome in the next level. Okay. They needed to follow these behavioral guidelines to be perfect. So what were the guidelines? Some of them are great questions, honestly, to ask yourself in general. I'll be honest. Okay. I have the list, but some are just really strange and just made me realize, wow, I'm nowhere near perfection in their eyes. I would get kicked out right away. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not striving to be perfect. So I'll read a few. One, actually number one was, can you follow instructions without adding your own interpretation? No. Probably not. (laughs) I'm sitting here like pondering. I'm like, "Mm." well, I hate being told what to do. So that's not going to work for me. Another guideline, which are questions here, do you participate in considerate conversation, polluting the ears of others while you and your partner work things out? So I thought about this and I'm like, "Mm, yeah, but partner for this group is a check partner. So everyone was assigned a partner to essentially make you do all the behavioral guidelines. (laughs) So they were like your accountability coach or whatever. Yeah, but it was worse than that. So it wasn't like, hey, buddy, I'm going to encourage you to do this. It was you didn't get to do anything without them whatsoever. Okay. That's what it was. One of the questions was, are you physically clumsy, breaking things because you handle them too harshly or carelessly? I mean, I've been clumsy. Like I trip over my own feet and yeah. I'm better at breaking parts of my body than things I think <laughs> but I'm careful with all of my things like it's that's what not I'm saying. like I, it's I'm like not doing it on purpose they made it my sound body they made it sound like you were doing it on intentionally I'm just a clumsy person well they would just call you careless then I would be kicked out I'm not yeah. perfect yeah 
I'm not ascending into wherever the fuck they're going. (laughs) (laughs) And then they have other questions like, do you do things halfway when you're trying to complete a task? Do you procrastinate? I'm a Gemini, so I start many projects that I never finish. That's just part of it. (laughs) And I'm a Capricorn, so I typically kill myself to finish something. Yeah, you're gonna. So you would make a great addition to this group. (laughs) Not with all the other things in here. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't want to follow the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the other questions are similar to that in regards to do you use things more than you need to? Specifically, do you use more of something than is adequate? So you use too much toothpaste or I think we all do being wasteful. Do you go from one extreme to another? Do you overeat and then undereat and stuff like that? It's just, I think being more aware of who you are. Yeah. Which it's not a bad thing to say. Yeah. I need to think about about, that, you know, but they also had a list of offenses. Most were what they coined lesser offenses. That list is way too long. I'll tell you where to go look at that. But here are a few interesting ones. One was trusting my own judgment or using my own mind. (laughs) Well, I mean, in terms of a cult, that would be something you don't want. I know. But this started out as as individual individual. ascension, right? And (laughs) metamorphosis that only you can do within yourself. But don't trust yourself and don't do things on your own. Do not use your own mind. That's weird. The other one was... Staying in my own head and having private thoughts, not staying open with my partner. So you're just supposed to like word vomit it all out all the time. I I think there's some thoughts they probably don't want to hear. What if they're annoying you? And most of them were put with people that they didn't like. That was my (laughs) understanding. (laughs) So you're sitting there like this guy is such a tool and you just say it out loud instead of keeping (laughs) it to yourself. I hate you. (laughs) And then they know you're not like keeping it from them if you tell them that you hate them. Another one was allowing anxiety, stress, tension, hyperness to affect my performance. I'm out. I know. Anxiety is my life. <laughs> you it know, enhances I, my performance sometimes. I fall asleep so many times throughout the day. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that that's not a good thing for and performance. I, <laughs> I overthink everything I do. So it takes longer. And this one, you know, this one really got me about it being an offense. Having likes or dislikes. Uh, what do you mean? Like you're going to like some things and just, you're just supposed to be neutral about everything. Just supposed to be a robot. So they basically set these standards where nobody could ever meet them. And then they're like, see, nobody except the two of us are fit to ascend. And then they're going to disappear and pretend they ascended and leave everybody else behind. That's my prediction. It would seem that way. It just, it's such a huge stretch from what they started at to being like, just kidding. You're not an individual. You're not allowed to have your own thoughts. You're not allowed to have your own opinions. You're not even allowed to like or dislike something. You just need to be new. Like, no sex. I like cheese. How am I supposed to be going like, I don't, I mean, cheese. I'm indifferent to cheese. (laughs) I'm indifferent to puppies and cats and like rainbows and fluffy clouds. Like, this is stupid. Well, you're a bad person. Call me bad person. I'm obviously not fit for the cult. (laughs) So their major offenses, their first one was deceit, which they included some bullet points for. A, doing an act on the sly, so don't be secret and saucy about things. Lying to the teachers or any of their classmates. Okay. Keeping an offense to themselves, so they're supposed to expose it, and they need to expose it that same day. So confessions. Yep. 
Sensuality was number two, permitting arousal in thought or in action. That's just a normal physical reaction to some things. How do you control that? Number three, breaking any instruction or procedure knowingly. So no one's ascending is what I'm hearing. That's what it would seem because that, I mean, it's a smart move. They'll be like, yes, you can ascend in this lifetime, but here's the massive list that you have to adhere to. And if you can't adhere to that, then you can't ascend and you can't blame us that you didn't get there because it's going to be your own damn fault. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But they lost quite a few people (laughs) (laughs) People once these rules came out. out. I can't like or dislike anything. Like because before this, they were this nomadic camping tribe. (laughs) tribe. Yes, exactly. It was all fun and games when they were just staring at the stars. And then when they got guidelines, they're like, ah, no. And this was their reaction to being found out. And they're like, oh, we need some rules. This is what we need to do. But they went a little overboard. Yeah, they did. Things became pretty rigid. Many who had joined were hippies before, and this rigidity was just way more than they wanted to be a part of. So they left. People left at all different times of this group. Different things were different last straws for a lot of people. For instance, the two thought it would be best if they all changed their names. They needed to adopt biblical names. All names should be two-syllable names with three consonants in the first syllable and end with Odie. So... If your name was Rick, it would become R-K-K, Odie, O-D-Y, Rickody, Jamodi, Lavodi. <laughs> you can make Kenodi. You, you would be Kenodi. It would be Jasodi. Jasodi. <laughs> After this, all members adopted some similar hairstyle and similar clothing, like we saw with the children of the family. I was about to say, are they horrible hairstyles like usual? Were they braids? They were not great. <laughs> and they cut each other's hair. So uh, that's never a good <laughs> no. never a good start. <laughs> this included the women. The women did all the same hairstyle as well as the men. They looked the same. This was just to further remove gender okay. within the group. Those who stayed really embraced every part of the group and would even call their way of life fun. To them it was very fulfilling. You can't really judge a person for that. Yeah. It's not like they're going around killing people yet. They're looking for purpose. Yeah. You say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Bo now became Doe and Peep became T. Doe T? Doe and T. The names came from the sound of music. Like Doe, Ray. Yep. Came from the song Doe, Ray, Me. Yeah. (laughs) I took it as they're just trying to get away from names in general because their names kept getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And... So if they could have, they would have just been D and T. A letter. I mean, yeah. she was T, but I don't know. They loved musicals. They both loved musicals. And The Sound of Music was Apple White's favorite musical. Okay. And so that's why they ended up choosing those two names. I wonder if they sang the song all the time. It's, they it's going did. in my head right now. <laughs> they did, but they created their own version of oh, Do Re Mi. Of course. Wait a minute. They can't like musicals. They're already breaking their own rules. It didn't say you can't like music. I thought they were not supposed to like or dislike anything. They're not liking it. They have to do it because he likes likes it. it. (laughs) (laughs) It's already, yeah. But but they're the leader, so they can do whatever the fuck they want. That's the role in the cults. But even when watching some of the videos of these members talk, you're reading what they had written out. Yes. But even in watching some of these videos, I don't I couldn't tell you how strict they actually yeah. were in making sure that that was happening. Yeah. Because 
a couple of them said, oh, well, he let us watch these movies sometimes. And like we did this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like someone who is super freaking strict. Right. About this book that they created with all these rules. So I don't know. They called it the 200 commandments. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty long. <laughs> it's not like other cults that we've seen so far. Yeah. Nobody's no, it's being very different. abused yet. It seems more innocent. Mm-hmm. It's weird as fuck, but mm-hmm. it's not hurting anyone. There's not children being abused, like right. you said. They're literally abstaining from anything sexual. And there's no money being stolen or like. I mean, they exchanged. started that way. Yeah. <laughs> That we know of. Just to survive, though, they weren't going above and beyond. But the cult leaders are not taking advantage of their members like we saw with the family. There are some things that are going to come up. Always. Has to escalate somewhere. Yep. So once they were done with the intense classroom portion of their journey, although they continued to call it the classroom for the rest of the cult, followers were split into different groups that they called star clusters. The groups lived in different areas, at campgrounds throughout the Rocky Mountains and Texas. With the spread of people, there was some loss in followers again. So Doe and T needed to tighten things up. They communicated through writing to the different groups. So this is another thing, too. They're not like in this room stuck with these people. Everyone is living in these groups, Mm -hmm. isolated from the world. And they sometimes have communications with their leaders. Yeah. How does that like keep you engaged? Because they want to leave this earth. Right. And they feel like Doe and T are the way to get there. And this is easier than like going to work every day. True. (laughs) Maybe I want to join a cult. (laughs) But with the loss in followers, they needed to try and figure out, okay, what do we do to make this group solid? Okay. Everyone needed to understand that the two of them were the only real source of truth in the world mm-hmm. no one person other than them were privileged enough to receive their own revelations so absolutely no more individualism like we talked about they would break apart friendships and ensure two people never got too close it sounds familiar we talked about the family they yes. did this there they also expected strict obedience regardless of the often shifts in what was expected of them so there was oh, well, we can do that now. or So they would change their minds on things often. They were writing the book as they went. They were, quite literally. (laughs) (laughs) They were. (laughs) That's why they weren't at meetings. They kept changing their names, for God's sake. Yeah. (laughs) And they were taught that when questioning themselves, they were to ask not what would Jesus do, but what would Doe and T do? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Members at the time would not consider them dictatorial. Some even described Applewhite as being laid back and fatherly. Hard to see that when you've given up your entire life for two people who get to dictate everything you do. But people truly believed what they were experiencing. Yeah, obviously they stayed. It was argued later by sociologists that this was because Doe was really, really good at playing what they called the game. He wouldn't outright dictate. He would convince his followers of his preferences. They were free to disobey. That was their choice. But what would that get them? It was the illusion of choice. If I was less unsure of myself, I too would see him in that way. Even when I watch videos of him, I'm not weirded out by him or anything, honestly. He says things that I can grasp and I follow him. But more than anything, I feel bad for him when I watch him talk. I do. I have like an empathy for this Apple White guy. Does he have a weird tick or something? Like. No, he seems just like a normal guy that wants fucking love, to be oh. honest. That's what it, he comes off as. Okay. At some point during the time 
of their camping about in late 1978, the group received a lot of money. From who? It was three hundred to 500000 It was speculated to be the inheritance of one of the members oh. that they just kind of ended up living off of for a while. That's a good chunk of money back then. Yeah. So they left the campgrounds and they rented homes in Denver and Dallas. Wow. They got plumbing and they got hot water. <laughs> they were tired of sleeping bags for a little they bit. They got real beds. <laughs> Maybe not. They may have been sleeping in the house on sleeping bags. <laughs> that is true because there was a lot of them. Yeah. Doe and T had their own house, though. Of course they And the rest did. had to share. Cult leaders always. <laughs> they probably had their own house with a jacuzzi and <laughs> Cause a they, pool. They couldn't see them researching on the internet during the day. Yeah. Or they're wait, like, how are we going? the 70s. <laughs> They're reading reference novels. They're like, how are we going to write this whole religion that we've Highlight created? Highlight that word for word. No one will know. <laughs> exactly. None of them will read this. But it wasn't just an inheritance that kept them afloat. Do you remember in the very beginning I was talking about Frank and his girlfriend and David, his cousin? Yes. So David was still involved and his father was really well off. Oh, okay. David was living off of a trust fund. I was about to say that makes sense that they would have rich parents because what other person can just take off right. and not worry about um, their future? And yeah. I, I, although I guess if you think your future is ascending into the heavens, yes, you would give all that up. Yeah. But, but it, this is a weird thing because they really liked big houses in upscale neighborhoods. I mean, they needed the big house. They had a lot of people, but it was usually somewhere pretty darn fancy, sometimes renting mansions, but it was also quiet. Mm-hmm. They were very secretive. They kept all the windows covered. And those that were left that got to live in these houses started a boot camp to prepare for the next level. Every okay. minute of their lives was regimented. So it changed. Just like the family, those mm-hmm. kids, morning to night. But unlike the family, those who were not committed were allowed and even encouraged to leave. Okay. And some of those that left were even given financial assistance to do so. So some pocket change. That's not a bad deal. So <laughs> it's so it doesn't seem, it's rigid in some ways and not in others. Right. So, so it's like. Because they're making it up off the seat of their pants. They're making it up. Yes. But at the same time, they're like, we want the absolute best best out of people and if you can't give it okay go we just want the few that are left that are actually going to go all the way yeah at this point it had been several years since many of the people went quote missing from Oregon Mm -hmm. and many of the family members were pretty distraught not believing the person they raised or grew up with would ever make the decision to leave everything that they knew to go follow these two people after an afternoon with them right (laughs) so many of the families tried to get help from authorities Applewhite was reported to the feds, but there was nothing that the feds could do because these were considered willing adults right. that made their own decisions. The parents of some of the members created a network. They had tried police and private investigators and were never able to find out anything or find out where they were. Because the group was all over the country and members joined from all over, this network allowed family members to report if there was a sighting of part of a group somewhere or if they heard anything. It was sort of their version of real-time news, Okay, you know, for just those that were missing. Whatever anyone found out was shared, whether it was locations, something on one person in particular, the size of the group. Family members became frantic to find them once news of the Jonestown cult and suicides came out in 1979, Yeah, which is completely understandable. Yeah, and they're like, what are they going to do? Right. That was horrific. Yes. We'll cover that at some point, I'm sure. We have to, yeah. 
But how do you breathe after something like that? You know that your kid or someone from your family has joined this cult. Right. And you and can't get them out. You can't get them out. You don't know where they are. You don't know if they're dead or alive. Yeah. But these cults have this potential to get to that level. Yeah, they do. You want to do everything that you could to save them. Anyway, they had this network for a long time and would deliver booklets to families that they called a newsletter with all the details they had up to that point. Okay. Just to keep them... Keep families at updated or whatever, so they wouldn't think. Oh, that. this wasn't from this isn't from the group. This was family members joining oh, together to okay. help other family members know what's up. Because yeah. otherwise, it's them going to all of their local authorities that are not going to okay. get together and go find these people. But the two found out about the newsletters instead of authorities or media. They became more worried about family members finding them and confronting the members of the group and shattering the new person that they worked so hard to break down and recreate. (laughs) So they continued to move about as often as they could to avoid members' families. Okay. No one else. They didn't want them stopping it. Yep. What sucks about this, the members were taught to let go of all of their humanness. Mm. That's how they referred to it. And that included communication with family. Yeah. But Bonnie, she didn't follow the same rules. Oh, she hung out with her family? No. She wrote her daughter, Terry, once a month, every single month. Okay. She wouldn't talk about the group and would only want to know about what Terry was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, mom checking on her kid. Bonnie would even call Terry. Although Terry never really cared for the calls because she wanted to just talk to her mother and Apple White was always on the other line. Uh, like yeah, that'd be annoying. But that was kind of that partner check thing. Oh, yes. In a way. So they had it for each other as well, but they were breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. But over the next couple of years, the rules softened just a smidge with the group. Okay. Despite this intense expectation of followers and losing many along the way, they managed to gain others and change the rules again. By 1980, they had about 80 followers and some of them had jobs. Because they did need to eat. And would they give all the money back to (laughs) the cult, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. They couldn't live off of this other dude's inheritance and the other guy's trust fund forever. Yeah. Because the kid with the trust fund, guess who ended up missing him? His dad. And he's involving the FBI and trying to find him. And he's like, like, my kid's been living (laughs) off this money, but I have not seen him in years. Right. Can you please help me find him? actually using this money. Yeah. In 1982, Terry started receiving strange letters from her mother. She was more secretive and vague than ever before. Neither of them knew it at the time, but Nettles had cancer. Oh. She was starting to not feel well, and I think it added to her paranoia. And maybe as a result of that, or just not really feeling like herself, Nettles had a change in thoughts. She Now, we need to remember that Applewhite was the main speaker, but Nettles was really the one in control. Okay. She was his voice. She was the sage. She was the muse. She was the sage. She influenced Applewhite. Out of nowhere in 1982, the two allowed members who hadn't spoken with their family in years to call their families. And in 1983, they were allowed to visit family on Mother's Day. Okay. When family members asked where they had been and why they could only stay a short while, they were instructed to tell their families that they were studying computers at monasteries. (laughs) That's a really dumb <laughs> alibi. Okay. This wasn't for the members. This was just to keep the family members away and to stop calling them or claiming that they're missing or that they were taken. Yeah. So they wanted the family members to see that this was their choice. They're coming to see you, but they're coming back. 
Right. Like it's their choice. Just stop. In 1985, Nettles found out that she had cancer of the eye. She had to have one of her eyes removed. Shortly after that, the same year, she went back for a checkup and she was told that the cancer was spreading very, very quickly. It had metastasized and was already spreading to her liver. Uh Uh-oh. They said that they couldn't do anything for her and that she only had weeks to live. So very sudden. How does she explain that to the cult if she's supposed to be the perfect? We'll get to that. She said she didn't believe it. She called her doctor ignorant and believed that she could not die. She knew that she had to ascend with Applewhite, so she couldn't die without him. So it was all nonsense. Okay. But the cancer spread and Nettles died June 19th, 1985. So what do you do? Like you said, when one of the two <laughs> dies and your prophecy is in question. Yes. Well, you lie. And people follow. <laughs> I always am so just well, what's because the word I'm looking for. It's like. They're, otherwise, so, they have to admit they're duped too, you know? Yeah. I just don't understand when people, and it's the cult mentality that they will just keep going with all of these lies. And as they like change the rules and right. the whole everything, everybody's just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you're just so in it, I guess. You are just so in it. And they loved her and everyone was devastated when she died. Applewhite said that Nettles had already traveled to the next level. She was above him to begin with and her earthly body had simply broken down. She personally had too much energy to remain on Earth. <laughs> he told them that he still had work to do and that she still communicated with him from the next level. Convenient. And all continued to follow and believe him. So, Sadly, Nettle's daughter, Terry, no one thought it was important to tell her right away. So she didn't even know that her mother passed? She hadn't heard from That's her mother sad. and was waiting every day for a letter to come in the mail. Aww. Then finally one day, two members called her. This was Liv and Dick Jocelyn. I brought him up earlier. Yes. The Hollywood dude. They wanted to meet her and talk to her about her mother. They showed up where she was living at the time and told her that she died. She didn't find out until March 22nd of 1986. This was over eight months after her mother died. That's just mean. Yes. It's fucked up. Considering that they were allowed to call their family members and go see them. Right. I mean, they hadn't been able to for years, but this is a death. This is something new. Why did it take that long? You get some answers to that. But first, after Nettle's death, Applewhite was super depressed. Not just depressed. He was in shambles over losing her. He was heartbroken. He had to pull himself together to make sense of it because personally, he was now struggling with his own beliefs. He believed her. He believed that they were going to ascend with each other. She was the one that roped him in. Yeah. And after her death, he decided to do more. He allowed family members to go home and visit their family in October of 1985. So following her death, this was outside of the Mother's Day visit that Nettles had allowed to happen. Right. During this time, remember the boyfriend and girlfriend from Oregon again, Frank and Erica. Yes. Well, since joining, they had to separate completely. But being allowed to go home for a visit, they were going home to the same place. And they were sent together as check partners. Frank was overwhelmed with seeing her again. He hadn't touched her in 10 years. And he said he just he just wanted to hug her. He just really wanted to hug her. So he lied to her and said that Applewhite said that it would be okay that he hugged her. And he did. Mm -hmm. And he just immediately knew that if she wanted to run away with him, he would leave instantly for her. But sadly, that never happened. And we're going to come back to the two of them later. All of the members that went back, most had emotional reunions with their families. Some of the members never went back for the Mother's Day visit. I'm not sure why. Maybe a mother is not who they wanted to go see. I don't know. Right. (laughs) 
So it almost seemed like this time, though, it was required. Like he made them. You got to go home. Go home. Okay. Because he was suffering in his own questioning of his beliefs. And he wanted everyone out so he could He wanted everyone out. And maybe he was testing them. Okay. A death just happened, you know, can make you emotional, want to see people that you love. But they got as much as they could out of seeing their family and then left and went back. No one knew where. All but one member went back to the group after this. Okay. I probably would have been that one. (laughs) Oh, my God, my family. I would, but if I showed back up with the hair, because I did look up on one of our breaks what their hairstyle looked like, that's probably why I would leave, because I'd want (laughs) to grow my hair out. I'm too vain. (laughs) You're so vain. They have helmet hair. Yeah. It's cool hair. You guys know what that looks like. (laughs) I can imagine (laughs) it was horrible. Not a look. But back to Nettle's daughter. Some of the members said that Nettle's last wish was that her daughter not find out that she died. Okay. I thought about that a little. They were allowed to go home for a short bit in 1985, but otherwise, the only other time they got to see family was Mother's Day. Well, maybe these two members requested an extension to help put Nettle's memory to rest Mm -hmm. for her family, specifically her daughter, because it was around that time. It was around Mother's Day when she finally got Uh to find out. And maybe Nettles wanted her daughter to believe that she was taken up in the spaceship and not dead. Probably. Because if she was, if they all were, at some point, no one would hear from them again anyway, right? Right. She also found out that at the time her mother died, she was living in Dallas, which was only four hours away from where she was staying for college. Mm. And that was the closest she knows that her mom had ever been to her. And she had no clue. Yeah. It broke her heart that she didn't try to see her. Yeah. That she didn't get to be with her when she was dying. Yeah, and cancer is a hard death. Right. And that Nettle specifically asked for that to happen. I mean, that's just really heart-wrenching. I don't, you don't even hear about what her other kids went through. Right, just this one daughter. Yep. Terry resorted to wanting answers from Applewhite. She wanted to know her mother. She tried over and over again to talk to him, but he would never call her or respond to her. Finally, he mailed her a recording with an audio cassette. He apologized for not contacting her sooner and said that he was torn between letting her know and complying with Nettle's wishes that she didn't know that she died. Mm -hmm. Rather than telling her about her mother, he spoke of Nettle's belief in her mission in life and the importance of it to her. But he was kind in the message. Mm -hmm. I listened to it. And this is why I, I have compassion for this guy. He tried to assure Terry that it wasn't because she didn't love her. She did love her, but that she was set in her mission. And he wanted to give her some peace and even called himself a coward for not coming sooner. Yeah. And his failure to not contact her. Yeah. And he said that he loved her. So he's showing these human emotions towards another human. And right. I don't know. It was just very sincere. And he was crying. And you could tell that he was just really torn in making the message for her. So put aside manic thoughts or what some of us might consider unrealistic beliefs, whatever you think of him at this time. He honestly just seemed genuine and caring for people, which was outside of what they taught. So it was really quite puzzling. Right. And it was. It was puzzling. I think that's what I'm trying to get to because the group was in this state of cognitive dissonance. His followers tried to make Applewhite feel better over time with Nettle's absence while also blindly choosing to believe his reasoning for her departure, even though it was against everything they taught everyone Mm -hmm. up to that point. So what were they to do? Applewhite needed to pull up his trousers, so to speak, and figure it out. What was the next step? 
I loved what one person said in this documentary to the point having to do with like cognitive dissonance. He said, your faith system shifts to make room for the event, which, which is what happens all the earlier. time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any religious person is doing this every single day. And we, what do they call it? Mental gymnastics. Mental gymnastics. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If something is conflicting with your beliefs, then you go to the scriptures or sacred texts and find something to justify it. Fits it. Yeah. Give it a new meaning. It's not new. Applewhite stepped into his new role. Individuality was completely out the window now with following Applewhite as their leader. He was the only way to their salvation. The smart thing Applewhite did in this transition, whether he was aware of it or not, was he went through this like human struggle with his human emotions and losing nettles and he shared it with the class like he told the class I'm struggling with my own beliefs okay so he included them and so they sort of went through all of this together and came out the collective grief and then that like draws them closer yep and they found meaning in nettles leaving her vessel yeah her vehicle as they started to call it In the 1980s, the group really became more of a strict religion than anything else. Okay. More Mm Christian-like, I guess. Because they did have a lot of Christian teachings. A lot of it was that way, but they took different parts and translated it to aliens. And you can take the Bible and translate it into whatever you want. The Bible was translated from other religions. (laughs) Everybody's been doing this since the dawn of time. They just (sighs) morph it into whatever fits. Yep. And because Nettle died, the view and teachings on Ascension changed. It was no longer this physical transformation. It was spiritual now. Oh, okay. And so the now body, they're just like every other religion. Right, exactly. The body would be left behind. So, phew, saved a lot of people from damnation, mm-hmm. <laughs> according to what they were saying before. Right. And at some point, he decided that the chance for humans to reach this next level came only every two millennia and that they had to wait until the 1990s for their next chance to ascend to heaven. Okay. Heaven being the planet that higher beings called home. Mm -hmm. Outside of the change in teachings, Applewhite became very paranoid and he believed that there was a conspiracy against his group. So much so that in the 1980s, Applewhite would avoid new members fearing that they were infiltrators. <laughs> and he started to focus heavily on the apocalypse. Humanity was a failed experiment that was going to be rebooted. Earth was going to be recycled. Most humans are brainwashed by Lucifer, and only his members were those that could break free. So he's not the two anymore. He's not even the one. Does he think he's going to bring on the end of the world still? Or everything has changed? Actually, I didn't write this down, but at some point they feel like they fulfilled the prophecy of the two. Okay. In that when media attacked them, they had this metaphorical death with the media attacking them. So they turned that and they spend that kind of earlier on that, oh, we've already done it. We've already risen. (laughs) You know, we're already back. This is us. We were already persecuted. It's so interesting how many people have tried to reinterpret Revelation like that they're like oh the beast means the internet or something like that you know what i mean (laughs) right so it sounds like that's what they did yeah makes sense so we've spanned about 15 years or so at this point that's a crazy long time for this cult yep now we're in the late 1980s and for the most part this group is quiet okay most people don't know that this group still exists but in 1988 the group mailed documents outlining their beliefs to numerous new age organizations They detailed what books they suggested people read and the history of the group. 
I'm guessing in an attempt to bring other New Agers over to their side. Okay. Otherwise, they were pretty much silent again until 1992 when they broadcast a 12-part video series via satellite introducing the universal mind. In addition to their other beliefs and teachings they already put out there, it was called Beyond Human. Okay. So now they want people again. Nettles is gone. Now they want to recruit. Now they want to recruit. And they're recruiting a different minded type of person. Okay. All of these other people grew with the cult in a way, Mm -hmm. you know. They also started a website to try and reach more people, this time under the name Higher Source. This website with videos from Applewhite received a lot of criticism. They were bullied online. Okay. It broke a lot of the member spirits because this website was actually created through their efforts. A lot of them held jobs in tech and they put a lot of effort into it and they were just destroyed. They were told it was like bad. Message, <laughs> message boards and just for their thoughts. And well, I yeah, mean, it wasn't received well. Uh, I can commiserate with that. I don't like to receive unhappy, unkind comments. <laughs> especially online. And this is the early 1990s. So this is when cyberbullying began. Yes, through the AOL Yeah, you can uh, even chat see rooms. faces. It was <laughs> <Yeah>. just like... <laughs> like, this is my chance. I get to be, be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, with what seems like some lack of direction, they're still moving constantly, shifting beliefs. Now they have the internet and... Now they're reaching out to people in media. They were supposed to avoid media and now they are the media. Right. He was just still trying to figure out what life was supposed to be without her. Mm -hmm. What is his purpose within the group? And it was around this time that he came to the conclusion that not only was he one of the two, but that he was related to Jesus. He was. Oh, he's back to that. And not only related to Jesus, but he is his successor, Christ on earth. He's the second coming. And not only his successor, but Applewhite's actual body was the same alien body, the same vehicle that Jesus used before. Okay. Can you follow? I don't know. No, I can. I've already looked at a picture of the guy. That's why I'm making the (laughs) face. I'm like, and maybe that's why I have this weird like feeling about him because he looks like someone I know as well. And I don't feel like that that person's a bad person. (laughs) I don't know. He just seems like a sad old elderly dude. <laughs> That's losing his marbles. I can't look at him any other way. I'm Jesus. Because he's like all frail and stuff. And I don't know. Whatever. And he's never saying anything bad. He just. He's not he's like just saying. Cuckoo. He's not saying people should die. You know, he's not like. He's not evil. Like He's not spitting bigotry and like yeah. racism. and Which a lot of cold guys yeah. are. Yeah. So anyway. And Bonnie or T, was who he referred to as the older member, you know. Right. She was Heavenly Father. Bonnie Nettles, Peep, T, she was now God to this group, God the Father. Okay. Yep. So that's a little much. They're losing me here. Yeah, that's a little much. He also came up with the wild idea that everyone in the group should marry him. Oh, well, this is going in most cult territory now. No sex involved. They held a ceremony where one by one, each of the members kneeled before him. He put a ring on their finger and kissed their forehead. And it's not like it was all legally official. But it was after this wedding that the message changed again. It wasn't about learning to overcome humanness anymore. Instead, the focus was on Applewhite and about their loyalty to him. (laughs) Became all (laughs) about him. He's Jesus. I got it. That's how Jesus was. It was all about him. Remember, everybody. (laughs) I don't know. Were we lied to? (laughs) I'm just kidding. With Applewhite's ban of sex or sensuality, he believed sex was the strongest drug. It can be for some people. Yeah, there's a dicks. 
<laughs> there's an addicts. I was yeah. trying to say addicts. Yeah, there were dicks. There's a lot of dicks. Addicts. Yeah, there are addicts that have dicks. <laughs> Usually there are the dick ones. Yes. But it was one of the most difficult things for members to deal with. Mm-hmm. Especially the men with the dicks. <laughs> Often speaking of sexuality and sexual activity as the work of Lucifer and that their celibacy was necessary to maintain their ascension, they really started to obsess over suppression of sexual desire. I wonder how they found a group of people who wanted to not. They didn't want to because that's not how it started. Yeah. It became that. Okay, so now they're focused on sex. And in the beginning, they understood that to get to a higher level within yourself, you you shouldn't care about right. that kind of stuff anyway. So they understood it to an extent. But I'm sure that they were very sexually frustrated. Right. Applewhite went back to crazy town for a little while. Again, I do feel bad for the guy. <laughs> I honestly feel like a lot of his back and forth stems from him suppressing who he really was and being ridiculed for yeah, yeah. his sexuality. You know, realizing that he was gay and he was shut down by the one person he was trying to please his whole life, which is was his, his father. Dad. Always, yeah, daddy issues is is a hard one. And his relationship with Nettles, it was intense. More intense than married couples, more intense than people who right. call each other soulmates. Like it was on this cosmic level. Exactly. <laughs> and now she's gone. Yeah. And, so he's grieving. Yeah. But his obsession with it became more than some could handle. For the men, they had to sign this book every morning confessing whether or not they had a wet dream. Okay. And there were special towels in the bathroom for cleaning yourself if it happened. And many would just stay dirty rather than use the rags because they didn't want anyone to find out. It's Ew. just weird. And you can't control a dream. So this brings me back to Dick Jocelyn. His name is not funny. Unfortunate. <laughs> it's just his name. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about Dick Jocelyn. <laughs> he was loyal to the group since the beginning and he was young. He was attractive. He was tall. Well, he right. was also gay. Okay. But with this, we're skipping back several years, mainly because it is almost impossible to cover this many people. There's hundreds in and out of right. this thing and keep this story in line and someone intact. Once Nettles died, Dick became one of the main helpers to Applewhite. Okay. He was part of this core group and Applewhite found himself becoming attracted to Jocelyn during his vulnerable times. Right. He admitted that and told him that he couldn't be a helper anymore. He was kicked out of the group because Applewhite was afraid of his own feelings. So here's this guy oh, who was he like attracted super to committed mm-hmm. to the group. He had been in it since the beginning and yeah, because the leader wanted to touch him. Right. I mean, at least he didn't. They held to their convictions. Yeah. Jocelyn was devastated, but then Applewhite held a meeting and he admitted it to the group as well, that he had a wet dream and that he had feelings towards Jocelyn that he shouldn't be having and that he needed to do something about it and said that he was looking into having himself castrated. Crazy. That's extreme. And then he asked if anyone else would like to join him in doing that. And were there others? Well, yes. It is questioned if it was Applewhite's idea or if it was actually one of the other members' suggestions. There was mm-hmm. a specific member. His name was Sorodi. He was just a little more out there. Honestly, oh. he was a little bit more cuckoo than some of them. Just right. super hyper, super freaking focused on all of the rules and 
He was a rule follower. He was a rule follower. So people believe that it was from him. Okay. But either way, it came up and. Yep. Not all of the men, but seven of the men, along with Applewhite, wanted to have surgical castration. Okay. They started in an attempt to do it to themselves. Ouch. One of the women was actually a nurse that used to work for a doctor that did castrations. So that's lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe she joined that. Yeah. For that skill (laughs) set. They flipped a coin to see who would go first. And Sorodi was actually the person that won. And they tried and it went wrong. And they watched his balls grow very, very large. You get infected and stuff. Yeah. Applewhite immediately broke down and told everyone that he went too far to have allowed this to happen and told them to take him to the police. Take me to the police. Okay. This this has gone too far. Can't believe we tried to do this type of thing. But the members didn't want that to happen. They didn't want him arrested. So they didn't know what to do. One of them tried to call a priest. <laughs> He's like, this is what's happening. And the priest is confused. He's like, why are you calling me about castration? Yeah, they don't do Take that in the Catholic to the religion. hospital. <laughs> like, so do they, you have a demon to exercise? What else can I do for you? They ended up taking him to a hospital. So he survived, but it was a scary thing. Eventually, they ended up finding a doctor that would do the actual procedure. And the rest who originally agreed, including Applewhite, did go through with it. Oh, wow. Most of the men, though, did not. This included Wayne Cook. Wayne and Suzanne Cook joined in 1975. Since the beginning of when they started holding meetings, actually, they left their 10-year-old daughter at the time, Kelly, to join the group, which Mm -hmm. I can't imagine leaving my daughter to just be like, all right, see ya. I'm going to go be a nomad. And the girl's like, mom, dad, what? Exactly. She, I watched her talk about this and it's sad. It is sad. She ended up being raised by her grandparents. You know, in the beginning, she was like, you're telling me I'm meaningless. Like, you're choosing this over me. Mm-hmm. You raised me. You loved me. What the fuck? <laughs> or I thought you did. Yeah. But she always held out hope for her parents to come back. She really did. But when the castration stuff came up, Wayne decided, okay, nope, that's enough. We're and out. he did leave the group. Okay. Her mother, Suzanne, followed shortly after him. They reconnected with their daughter, but she said their reality outside of the cult was extremely isolating for them, and she knew that they would go back. Yeah. This wasn't the first time they left. Over the course of 20 years, they left and went back three different times. Members were allowed to leave and come back. They did let them do that. Susan did go back, but Wayne did not. So he did stay out. I'm sure because his balls became involved. They were more important. (laughs) (laughs) Over the course of the group's existence, it had hundreds of followers, but most left. At one point, it had only 26 members. Wow, that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Applewhite wasn't happy about that. And with the end times coming, they needed to get more people. So in 1993, the group spent $30,000 to publish a one-page advertisement in USA Today. Okay. This time, calling themselves the Total Overcomers Anonymous. Now they're the TOA. They warned of a catastrophic judgment that was coming. This earned them 20 new followers. That Those doesn't seem like a good, I was going to say, that's not a good return on investment. <laughs> <laughs> then they held some lectures. They grabbed a few more, but they did not have the same attraction that they used to have. Frank, who we've mentioned a couple of times, he was, I'm going to quiz you now. Who's Frank? Frank? He's the one that had the girlfriend. Yes. Okay, yeah. good. This is when he left the group. It was in 1993 after 18 years. It's a long time to be in a group. Yep. It had been brewing within him when he would have given anything to start again with Erica. Mm -hmm. But one morning he was talking and Applewhite noticed that his voice was really deep and Applewhite mocked him. Okay. 
they were supposed to be genderless and Frank's deep voice was too much. And then he was like, you should get castrated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, But it humiliated Frank and it just became this like psychological thing that he was dealing with and he stopped talking. So I watched him speak and I'll be honest, he has this very soft voice, Mm -hmm. but he has this, not a stutter, but this something that happens within his throat. And I thought maybe he had a stroke at some point. That's how it came off to me. And I didn't think anything of it. But he says it's because of this, of the psychological damage that he went through when he was being made fun of for having a deep voice. He's like, I can't just all of a sudden be Mm -hmm. a woman, you know, and then having the guts to stand up and and leave this group and all of that. And he just didn't speak for a really long time. And so it became this speech problem. Right. And he has a really hard time getting his words out. Mm-hmm. He seemed like a really cool, really cool older dude. But anyway, when he left, Erica found out and she found a way to call him and she was crying and begging for him to come back. And he told her that she should probably leave the group for a while and get some more perspective. Just make sure, like, is this really what you want to do? And she didn't say anything, which he knew she wouldn't because her check partner was on the phone with her. Yeah. And that was the last time he spoke to her. Mm-hmm. That's sad. Applewhite was no longer dictating every minute of every day, and he rarely did see everybody. And when he did, he started talking about suicide Uh as being the only way to ascend to the next level. Oh, no. It's going to become a suicide cult. Yep. (laughs) He never used the word suicide, though. Instead, he would mention exiting their vehicles. Okay. Going back to the idea that everything human had to be forsaken, including the human body. It was at this time that they finally once and for all called themselves Heaven's Gate. There it is. It only took 20 tries. <laughs> that one sounds the best. So. I mean, I wonder, though, I, if they had just stuck to one. They probably would have recruited more people. That's what I'm saying. They probably would have <laughs> recruited Heaven's Gate more. probably would have brought a lot more in than the anonymous sexaholics, <laughs> celibacy I mean, council that, or whatever. That's a great group for some people, but not when you're going not there for, for one thing <laughs> and then you find out it's aliens. <laughs> You're like, I thought this was a recovery group. (laughs) From mid to late 1995, the group moved to New Mexico. We're always grabbing stories (laughs) from where you and I grew up. I know, Texas and Mexico, Colorado. Things have happened there, I guess. I never mean to. (laughs) But they bought 40 acres in a rural part of New Mexico near Manzano and built a compound. It was built out of lumber and tires, and they called their compound Earthship. Okay. Applewhite wanted to have a monastery, but he wasn't doing too well at this point health-wise, and he wasn't able to do what he used to, and the winter was cold, and it only lasted about four months, and they abandoned it altogether. Okay, that was a very (laughs) short-lived compound. So instead, they went to San Diego and moved into a few houses there. Like, let's just go back to the model that we know works. But that's where also a lot of my family is from. So it's just like every place I've lived. I'm like, is this why I've lived in the places I've lived? Because I am of a certain type of person. (laughs) We're crazy. In 1994, Applewhite gathered a meeting to test the group on their reservations about exiting their vehicles. He provided a method in which it would be done. Most weren't thinking that he meant soon. Okay. They really thought he was just... If it comes to that one day, yeah, would, would you do it? They were complicit in agreeing, yes. That's what we understand would happen at some point anyway, that we'd be leaving. You know, I'd right. be willing to leave my vehicle behind. That's the whole point. 
Now, some of these members had been with him for over 20 years at this point. Even for them, I'm sure they've heard similar exit strategies more than once and blindly agreed. So it might have not been the first time that he brought it up. But he did mean soon. Okay. From this meeting, five people left the group. They're like, I'm not in, I'm not in for this. <laughs> including Sawyer, who was with him from the very beginning as well. After 19 years, he left. He claims he didn't leave because of this, but because he wasn't ready to not be with a woman again. He was done with the celibacy. Got it. Yeah. He said he turned on MTV once and he was just overwhelmed. <laughs> by he hadn't had he sex in 19 years. <laughs> He's like, I, sorry. Yeah. Got to do it. Applewhite confronted him about it. So he was like, I just, I can't, I got to go. I've been masturbating. <laughs> he didn't want to leave though, but that was, that was part of the thing. Yeah. Applewhite forgave him and he said that he tried to help him, but he just couldn't stop yeah. thinking about it. So he was given 600 bucks. And, and a prostitute. No. <laughs> no, he was given 600 bucks to leave. To this day, Sawyer still believes that he failed he still believes that if he alone continues to work on things for himself, that eventually he might graduate and reach Heaven's Gate. So he still believes in it. He does very much. And he's isolated himself. He lives in the middle of nowhere mm. just by himself. I mean, he plays music now. Seems like a cool dude. Yeah. Down to earth guy. But he does believe in it now. But okay. he had to leave and he looks at the stars each night and says, mm, maybe. Maybe they're up there. In. Yeah. In October 1996, the group rented a mansion in Rancho Santa Fe, California. Okay. It was a 9,200 square foot home. It's a large house. <laughs> yeah. And they paid 7000 a month for it in cash. That doesn't seem that expensive, but I guess back It then, doesn't, like, but like, this is 1996. Yeah. Like we pay like $3,000 a month in Boulder for like a two bedroom. Yeah. yeah. So I had no idea that this was a thing, or still is, but that same month that they rented this mansion, the group purchased alien abduction insurance. <laughs> that sounds like a scam. Somebody like created that shit and I mean, makes a lot of money off of it. It sounds like a really cool random niche. That yeah, that's what I'm saying. Of. You can make some good money because you're never going to have to pay out on that probably. No, how because are they gonna how do you prove, prove it? it? Exactly. Yeah, yep. <laughs> But this covered 50 of the group members and would pay out a million per member. Damn. I do want to discuss this for a second because if the group believed that they were aliens and they why believed. Would- <laughs> yes. Why would they do this? But I immediately thought of the group members' families. Oh, yeah. That this was their way to leave some money behind. Yeah, for. leave some money behind. I thought it was kind of sweet. They're like, we couldn't be with you in life, but maybe we you'll get you a million dollars when I finally leave. <laughs> but it is a scam. Assholes. I bet they paid a lot for it, too. Now we just need real aliens to come back and be like, oh, yes, we do have George from 1975. <laughs> so you need to pay his so family. You need to pay him. <laughs> but rumors were spreading among the group that their chance to ascend was coming by way of the Hillbop Comet. Hillbop Comet? Okay. It's believed that they focused on the Hillbop as their ticket out of there, learning about its companion object trailing behind. Okay. Which was discovered November of 1996. I actually remember this. I was a kid and it was all over the TV. People thought it was a spaceship that was following behind the comet. comet. Okay. I remember hearing about it being discussed, like how big it was and the shape and all this stuff. It turned out not to be anything. Yeah. But Applewhite latched on to that. Yep. He took that as a sign that Nettles was in that coming spaceship to get <laughs> coming to get them. He told his followers that the spacecraft would transport them to an Empyrean destination. Their time on Earth was up because the government was trying to silence their teachings, which they were aware of and saw with Waco. 
So now they're seeing these other okay. cults dying or yes being taken apart. And I know you're going to cover that. At I'm some going to cover that. I grew up really close to where David right. Crush happened. They feared that the government was going to kill them. Yeah. They were also convinced that the end times had to come before the turn of the century. So they also were dreading the year 2000. Mm, yes. <laughs> so much fear around 2000. I know. You know what I remember about that? The whole Y2K. Yeah, Y2K was ridiculous. I remember helping my little sister outside of a Hastings sell Girl Scout cookies. Oh, the good old Hastings. I miss Hastings. That was a great store. We have if you don't know what those are, yeah, it's just CDs, movies, all kinds of stuff. It was just a cool store and yeah. it was huge. They were huge. Yeah, I love And you them. could rent movies there back in the day and DVDs and all that. Well, that's how I knew of them. Yeah. Mostly was the renting of everything. Yeah. Everyone in New Mexico, Mrs. Hastings. But yeah, I was helping her sell these cookies. So I was helping to be this like chaperone for these kids. And we were using Y2K as a reason that everybody needed to stock up <laughs> because they Get were never going to be sold again. Everything was doom and gloom. And we were all going to die. Yeah. Except for, time for kids. except for Heaven's Gate. They were going to catch the flight out. Yeah. Yep. After concluding that they were finally going to be evacuating Earth, the group took a turn. Okay. One important member came back. They had Christmas together. They baked 39 cakes exchanged gifts, had a talent show. They sang songs. Nice. Then they went on several trips. They went back to where Applewhite and Nettles had their first revelation on the Oregon coast. Okay. Specifically Gold Beach. They went to SeaWorld <laughs> and San Diego's Wild Animal Park. Okay. They went to Mexico. Okay. They went to Las Vegas and they stayed at the stratosphere and gambled. They're just living it up <laughs> before yep. they leave Earth. In March of 1997, a British-American documentarian, Louis Thoreau, reached out to the group to ask them to be part of his documentary on BBC Two. He wanted to include them on his special series, Louis Thoreau's Weird Weekend, in which he was doing an episode on people who believed in UFOs. Okay. He still did this episode, just not with this group. He received a response back by email that simply said, at the present time, a project like this would be an interference with what we most focus on. Okay. On March 20th, 1997, members of the group were busy recording farewell messages. Many of them praised Applewhite in their final messages. Applewhite also recorded a video explaining their plan on mass suicide, calling it something else, of course, and that that was their only way to evacuate Earth. He explained his theory on the comet and that he and his followers were prepared for this. He called it their final exit and said, we do in all honesty hate this world. The Hellbop Comet was supposed to be closest to Earth in March of 1997. Okay. They mailed these videos to several former members and journalists, and they began committing suicide over the course of three days. Oh, my God. It was an anonymous tip on March 26th that led police to search the home, where they found 39 people dead, including Applewhite, who had all committed suicide, 21 women and 18 men between the ages of 26 and 72. Wow. This call was actually made by a former member, Rio D'Angelo. He received a package on March 25th with two VHS videotapes, one with Doe's final exit and the other with the farewell messages of group followers. There is also a letter. D'Angelo informed his boss of the contents of the packages and then received a ride from him from Los Angeles to the Heaven's Gate home in Rancho Santa Fe so that he could verify the letter. D'Angelo found a back door unlocked and used a video camera to record what he found. He was instructed to do that. Oh. D'Angelo then called the authorities. 
D'Angelo was only with the group from 1994 until just two weeks before they committed suicide. So he was a fairly new member who, yeah. you know, didn't want to commit suicide. Yeah, he didn't want to do that. However, Applewhite was in approval of this and D'Angelo became a voice for them after their departure. And the letter asked him to go videotape in the house because okay. it was also in the way in which they were displayed that they didn't know would get out. Right. They wore black uniforms, black shirts and black slacks with arm patches that read Heaven's Gate Away Team. Okay. All were wearing Nike shoes. All of them had their wedding bands on. They had taken phenobarbital mixed with applesauce pudding or alcohol and placed a bag over their head. And each of their pockets was $5 and three quarters. Identification was placed next to each body. Most of them anyway. The Nike shoes were chosen because the group said that they... Or someone said that they probably just got a really good deal on them. <laughs> they're on clearance. Because <laughs> they're all the same. And yeah. But also because he liked Nike shoes. And they had another saying that instead of saying just do it, it was just do it. Oh, okay. That makes sense. The $5 bill and 75 cents was based on a Mark Twain story, which said that $5.75 was the cost to ride the tail of a comet to heaven. Okay. Which is pretty poetic. Yeah. They died in three groups over three days, 15, 15, and 9, starting on March 22, 1996. Members helped each other until it dwindled down to just a few. After each one died, a living member would remove the plastic bag from the person's head and arrange the bodies neatly. Their faces and torsos were then covered with a square purple cloth for privacy. Okay. Applewhite was one of the last few to die. This is known by two of the members being found with bags still over their heads and not positioned like the rest. Mm -hmm. Of the 39 that died that day, that included David, the cousin of Frank. Mm -hmm. We also had Suzanne Cook, Aww. the mom yeah. that went back, and Erica, Frank's. Yeah, because she never left. Yeah. So that's sad to know it the love of your sad. life did end up staying and, and went through herself. with it. I do want to talk about a couple of the people that did end up leaving because they become a voice for the group after right. the suicide. That includes Dick Jocelyn. Mm -hmm. You know, he left or he was made to leave seven years prior and remained a committed advocate for the group. He spoke about their choices and so did Sawyer. Sawyer really, right. Frank tried. It wasn't the same though. <laughs> you could tell that in like interviews. Like he wasn't as indoctrinated anymore. Yeah. yeah. After the deaths, Jocelyn went under counseling by cult exit specialist Steve Hassan. He okay. used to be in one. He essentially decoded it and he spent his life trying to help other cult members who left groups. Right. And just because you leave doesn't mean it leaves you. Yeah, you got to be that. deprogrammed. And there were some people that were afraid that Jocelyn was considering suicide to meet up with the oh, others. Yeah. So someone had Hassan meet with him. And yeah. Dick did overcome it as best Good. he could. He did, but then he died of AIDS in 2000. Aww. So it wasn't for long. And that, that was just a precursor, though, because sadly, several former members, after knowing of the suicides, felt like they missed the ship. And so they decided to take their own lives Oh man. afterwards. This included Wayne Cook. Aww. So her dad, too. Wow. Kelly's father. After her mom's death, he was depressed and envious. Yeah. He wished that he was strong enough to have stuck with it. Not long after that, he tried to commit suicide with another former member, Chuck Humphrey. Keyword, tried. Yeah. Sadly, Wayne succeeded. Chuck did not. Okay. Uh, they were found in a hotel room and Chuck was still alive, but Wayne had gone through with it. At some point, Chuck ripped the bag off, so he couldn't. Yeah, yeah he ripped he it off. Go through with it. Mm -hmm. 
After this, there was a gathering of ex-members, all of different belief levels, some still completely convinced and others who consider themselves brainwashed. All were just happy to be there until Terry, Nettle's daughter, who was invited, thought it would be nostalgic to bring and read some of her mother's letters to them. Okay. She didn't know the impact that it was going to have. She read and they became so angry. They were told that they had to leave everything that they loved behind. Yes. Talking to family. And here is one of the leaders talking to her daughter and telling her she loves her and wants her to go to college and to conform to society in every way that she can and that she gets to talk to her all the time. Terry thought her mom wanted out of the group. Yeah. Actually. But the group was just so mad after she brought these letters. They all felt that they were conned and maybe Nettles did want to leave, but she started it all. I was going to say she couldn't. Yeah. There's no clear exit strategy there. Exactly. No way to turn back from that one. Yep. As suggested by former members with a better view of the situation, they believed with Applewhite in his old age and his feeling that he was on the verge of death like Nettles, Mm -hmm. much so hypochondriac in a lot of ways. Yeah. He thought, you know, something was wrong with him. They believe he concluded that death was the only way out. And he with Nettles created this entire belief system. Right. In which he had followers completely devoted to him in such a personal way that he had to do it like this. Right. And he was tired and he wanted to be done. Yeah. He was depressed with life. He wanted to die. He wanted to leave Earth. Mm-hmm. And, and he, so did they. Yeah. Still today, Heaven's Gate is the largest mass suicide on U.S. soil. You know, we've talked about Jonestown, but that wasn't on U.S. soil. So you can't consider it that. That is much, 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 much larger. Yes. And includes children and a whole nother road to go down. But if you're curious to learn more about Heaven's Gate, guess what? The website is still up. Oh, okay. Heavensgate.com. And it is still as it was before the mass suicide. If you go today, you will still see their original message about the comment. You can watch the leader's videos. You can review the guidelines and offenses I went over. You can purchase the book that they created with that in it. You can read a few of the members' exit statements, including the away team's overall last statement that was written on March 22nd, 1996. It's honestly a wild sight to go through. It's still styled. I was going to say, it it was very 90s. It's very 90s. And you can just easily sink your teeth into the nitty gritty of what they taught because there's a lot on there. The original content hasn't been updated since 1997, but it's still maintained. I was shocked to find it. So I was trying to look for the guidelines that was mentioned in something else that I was using for my research. And so I was just typing certain Google keywords in and it popped up (laughs) this thing and it popped up the actual website. And I was like, what? 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 This is over 27 years later and the website is still intact. It turns out that a couple of members were left behind and instructed to keep the website running and Heaven's Gate message alive. They're believed to be two people by the names of Mark and Sarah King. Who knows how long it will continue to stay up. So if you're curious, I'd go check it out. Please do so with an inquiring mind and for educational purposes only. Don't be joining it. Check out at your own risk. It's still a cool thing to see. And it's what was there. It's a moment stuck in time. Yeah, it is. And that's the story of Heaven's Gate. This is wild. I, wild story. When you get to the end, I do remember the mass 39 suicide. And I probably read some articles about it, but I had no idea any of it really. And like what they believed or why. Mm-hmm. It's so unique to me. I just don't understand the whole purpose behind doe and t like setting this up because 
it doesn't have the same, I guess, checkbox or checklist that other cults do. Because they don't go to crazy town with like how, like with danger and other things that they do. I think that that's what it is. It's like we're used to having some kind of crime and someone getting right. hurt by these cults and that didn't happen. Yeah, usually it's somebody wanting power over other people or money or sex almost always. And yeah. this is just like these two kind of delusional people who probably truly believed at some point that they were. I can't say anything because I believe in a lot of the things that they teach, to be honest. I mean, maybe they're up there, but I don't. Maybe they made it to the spacecraft. But the ending, when you get into these things, it's always, how is this going to end? Right. Because they always end because you can't start a brand new religion. It just doesn't work anymore. And so that's why it becomes a cult. And then it comes to an end and people die. People always die. So it has that. But I don't know. I think that's why this cult is still an interesting one for everyone to look into and try and wrap their heads around psychologically trying to figure out what is it? Because all of the members of these groups, they were important, wealthy people like they some of them were hippies, but a lot of them were tech people like they knew what they were doing. They weren't just we're all looking for higher purpose. Yes, absolutely. I think every one of us has a moment, maybe many moments in a day where you're like, I just want to leave this rat race I want to be I mean we talked about it now more than ever people are saying yeah. that yeah. yeah with every crazy thing that goes on in the world we can't even keep up because we record ahead of time and it's like by the time our episodes come out there's already been like multiple other natural disasters that we can't even cover and it brings you down so I it could does. see looking for a because this seemed kind of like a very positive cult in a lot of ways. It had the connection with the people. People are always looking for belonging. So you go there, you want belonging, and you're also looking for a way to escape the mundane life that you have maybe. And and you want to believe that you're going to become an alien. So I mean, we are aliens, right? <laughs> That's what they're saying. Yeah. And I, we but can't say that we're not either. I'm going to bring that up a million times in the future, I think. We can't say that. Yeah, we have no proof that they didn't actually ascend or whatever, but... But we it, don't. It seems pretty bizarre. They might very well be on Heaven's Gate. Maybe they're listening to us right now. They are. And they have <laughs> these other bodies. And, and they're like, one day you will see Kendra. I mean, technically, they lived a pure life towards the end. Yeah. And if there's a heaven, then they went. So he didn't lie. It yeah. happened. Their they life, were doing their life was things. just cut shorter than it, it would have been. been. Mm-hmm. It's sad that the youngest was like 26 because. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Their brain didn't fully develop till 25. So they only had a year, a year to, to really figure it out. It. Yeah. Well, this was a nice, I guess, change of pace. It's not really true crime. Because this was their choice. Mm-hmm. And you can, of course, argue manipulation, brainwashing, all of that stuff. But they were there for so long. They were yeah. with this guy for so long. And even those that were, if something was wrong for them, they left. So choice was always there. And he there. let them leave yeah, and, and come back. So it was yeah. a pretty, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what else to say except for, I think that was a really, like I said, wild. It was an interesting story to hear about and I appreciate all the work you did on it. Thanks. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like losing my voice a little bit. I think I'm getting sick, but. So thanks for listening. Go ahead yes. and go check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. 
And please send in your lab report stories to lucidlabpodcast at gmail.com or mail them to P.O. Box 251 Eastlake, Colorado 80614. And we are on Patreon. If you want to check that out, we have that all up and running. And then wherever you get your podcasts, please go on and rate us. Leave some positive comments if you're enjoying the show. Help us get more exposure. We appreciate anything and everything you can do. Yes. And And we will be back next week with, I believe our next episode is actually a lab report. So be looking forward to hearing some of our listener stories again. We're excited to share those with you. And in the meantime, stay lucid. Up, up, up and away. Bye bye. Pew. See